This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And holy hot damn, are we rolling into the end of this movie. We're deep inside the airport Hilton in L.A. And one of the guests has both been deep inside... Maybe a, a guest of the LA Hilton, <laughs> um, but has been deep inside the LA Hilton at least twice uh, in his time uh, traveling between Australia and um, the City of Stars. Uh, I'm Blake Howard, your host. Joining me again and just racking up their guest appearances, and I might make them promise they've got to come back because it, it, I know that after the 166th minute when Michael Mann comes on the show, there's really two two out of three people um, that I can really think of that I would need on the show are sitting in front of me right now. One of them is Mr. Garth Franklin, who's done our web design and is also in the Woodward and Bernstein Washington Post level 21-year-old movie news website, Dark Horizons, the highest level of movie news integrity that exists on the internet. That legend is in front of me. And also one thick girthy arm of the tripod of the cinephiles podcast and the man who really like grabbed me in the face uh al pacino any given sunday style and wrangled me into doing this podcast mr stu coot welcome back to the show gentlemen so if you put our introductions together we have <laughs> penetration and good <laughs> it's not a bad night out of there it's very useful yeah <laughs> not can't a bad we, night now we meant to like come here <laughs> he, he first literally, literally. Yeah, first <laughs> He begs us to be on the show. <laughs> can't, he can't get a single guest lately. No, no, no one no, wants no. to be on his little <laughs> well, show. Yeah. Begs us. I got the messages. <laughs> I know. Stu, no one wants to be on my show. Please, please, you know, Garth, put in a good word for me. And, I say, yeah. and we take out so much serious time out of our day. Exactly. And, this sort of stuff. and then yeah. we get here, and then we get shackled to the wall, and then it becomes a whole lot. <laughs> we brought the shackles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. They were fluffy. They were, they were fluffy. <laughs> Microfiber. And, and then on top of that, he's like, once I get Michael Mann on. <laughs> You guys can do the episode after. Oh, great. Oh, great, thanks. We'll great, walk on great, after great, that. Yeah. We'll pick up the pieces. <laughs> it's well, like it's like going on a date with someone after they've just dated Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just not. <laughs> yeah. Are you in the mood for the rest? Because <laughs> here I am. Hey, they call me Luke and the other <laughs> one. <laughs> no, it's good to be back. No, it's good. It's always a pleasure to come around. Yeah, no. indeed. I'm with the show. No, no, it's good. It's good to be here. Um, We've had some fun of late. So. It's been a good blast, this whole, this whole journey. It has. <laughs> we are very much... I. It's only when we were sort of looking at what's sort of on the screen and it's coming, I'm like, oh, wow, we are... We're really at that towards the end. We yeah. have come a ways yeah. from first recording up in the... We've been like... In a hotel room. room that we're, yeah, yeah, we've been all over the place. But yeah, we've, yeah. It's, been a, it's been a journey. The fact that it's also... We've given our friend something way too much to concentrate on for probably the past two years. Yeah. <laughs> and he's only taken few, that ball and run with it. Only a few things have happened in my personal life in the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> really, registered. Anyway, what was it? 
But you've second. taken that ball and you've run with it so far. Yeah. Way, way further than we were expecting. Yeah, well, I, mm. I had odds. I, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. In the pool, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you had 11 episodes, <laughs> I was seven, and I was in the first three. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no figure. <laughs> You, you thought that that was going to be a certainty yeah, of it crashing and burning. I was trying to tank myself. <laughs> Look how it's blown up in my face. Someone's going to run away with the pot. <laughs> oh, man. It's um, uh, when I see the scenes um, and, you know, uh, and I see the schedule of guests and I see the scenes and I, and I think about it, I just go, Jesus. Like, it just was... It is. It's an all-consuming, but in the very best way, an all-consuming thing. Oh, hell of a ride. Oh, yeah. man. I could never have imagined it. So if you guys are, if this is your first episode of One Hit Minute, or I, I, if this is your first episode of One Hit Minute, you're listening at 150 what minutes in, yeah. you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, if that is you, stop listening. We don't want you listening. You don't deserve it. Unless, if that is you and you do turn off, go back and listen to all the 149 episodes. Hit me up on Twitter, Stu underscore watches, and tell me you've, what, you've listened then it's okay. Okay. It's a very specific criteria we give first time <laughs> listeners. And if someone's taking this for like some sort of important recording to like vet or whatever this sort of this series, we won't hear. Probably not. Try skipping something else. That's <laughs> <laughs> There's some other great episodes with more yeah. reputable guests. Yeah. That's not hard to find. Much more informed, much yeah. more intelligent yeah. than yeah. us. I mean, look, if, try. The, if, yes. if the list of people in front of you maintains, you know, you've, you're following. Academy Award nominated filmmaker and editor Luke Doolin. You're also following um, uh, AFI slash actor uh, and Logie Award winning actor Henry Nixon. Um, Logie. Um, <laughs> you follow. Don't let me tell you how many Logies Dark Horizons has. <laughs> oh, look, I, I, I won a swimming participation though. There you go. <laughs> really impressive. Really impressive. <laughs> You're also following Matt Zoller Zeitz, <laughs> editor at large. Glad we know that after we, we <laughs> signed on. <laughs> I'm more proud of the fact that I got, finally got Matt Zoller Zeitz to follow me after I made some joke about Sea Biscuit being well hung. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> off brand for you. I know. How did you? <laughs> What made you stray into such troubled waters? I don't know waters. how I got to that area. It was a yeah. thing. Oh, jeez. But so here we are. I mean, it's so crazy because there was a couple of, and, and for folks who are listening, there's like a couple of episodes that I recorded on this show very early, really early, in fact. The 137th and 38th episodes, which hopefully you've listened to with Luke Dolan and Henry Nixon, were recorded around the time I did like a big proof of concept recording with these lovely gentlemen sitting in front of me. And when I did it, I kind of like banked it away in my head and I was like, I don't ever know if I'm going to reach them. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to, if if it's ever going to actually eventuate. And I eventually as you know, hopefully if you're listening, you've heard like me talk through those episodes and put them together as a bonus episode because I just wasn't sure if you guys would ever get to hear them. So I'm like, I'm going to release them at some point and thank Luke and Henry for their participation. Yeah, Yeah. it was great. But now that we're here, I'm like, Wow, not only am I there, but we are beyond those episodes. Not only are you there, you're doing bonus episodes of other movies to go <laughs> and just to go and say how not he that's and not particularly good movies. That, that you spend the time on that, you could have done three of your own episodes. <laughs> you're you're a madman. Yeah. Well, look, that was Katie Walsh mm. and Katie, uh, a, a friend of the show. She was so much fun to talk to that it was almost. It was a knee-jerk reaction. I was like, it might be too much fun sure. to, 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 to not yeah, have this conversation no, I, and record it. Yeah, and yeah. I had a great... Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping you guys had a great time. <laughs> I hope the filmmakers understand 
Um, and by the time you've listened to this episode, which is 151, um, Mr. Cam Williams, who's an Australian film writer um, uh, around many places, he heard on the ABC, you occasionally might see him on Birth Movies Death is recently his haunt, um, and he's on Twitter way too much, and he coined a phrase which I'm going to let you boys in on, which um, uh, you know I think is perfectly appropriate. He called it heat blocking. So his phrase heat blocking or heat blockers means that if you're a filmmaker who goes out there and you say that your movie is influenced or inspired by heat, you have just heat blocked your movie, meaning that that movie is going to be a, a, a steaming pile of shit. Yeah. Like it's a guarantee <laughs> that it is going to tank. It's going to be absolutely awful. Yeah. And once you've announced it, it's done. Solo, huge example. Den of Thieves, huge example. It, like if you say it's inspired by heat, you've just you well, blocked it. But every movie basically gets sold in Hollywood. There's always something meets something. something. Yeah, what and was, so if heat what meets, was Infinity know. War? Didn't they give Infinity War some obnoxious like? It's, <laughs> or was it? La- or was the Last Jedi was like Bridge Over the River Kwai meets something, and you go just stop it, stop, stop it, lunatics, <laughs> film nerds. The question and, is, what is heat? Um, heat is something made something yeah what's what yeah. heat it's a good question a I've little... started to coin one which is like it's it's like if it's like if Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid mm-hmm. had the guys following them had their own whole oh, story oh yeah yeah mm. you, was, you and, brought this up on a recent on, yeah. on a fairly yeah. recent episode yeah. which is like you know because I, I was I was curious about retroactively editing Heat as like Butch Cassidy and Sundance and having like just to see what it'd be like if there was a wraith like cop um, or a wraith like criminal and you only got to see one side of it, it. Yeah. you never saw it but it's like mm. I imagine it's that and then there's that entanglement that happens with Butch and Sundance and mm. love story and like this mm. hopefulness and things like that And but it you know it's very myopic because it's yeah. eventually these two guys mm-hmm. um, so yeah I would I don't know but uh, you know in this genre like uh, and I, there's another phrase that I you know I've used a few times on this show you guys might have heard is um, I call them like genre ruiners like there are some genre ruiners that come along that are just so good that it almost like temporarily just like blows yeah, away yeah. a genre. Yeah. And so you think of like what the Godfather did to the gangster film genre yep. for many, many years it took to, you know, I, I think it almost takes to 1990 with Goodfellas before the genre like is revived and then later on Sopranos as an example. But that's not its way. Like Hollywood will always bring up, something will break through in a genre that hasn't really had much success. Pirates of the Caribbean was like a very famous one. Huge. Gladiator was a big Gladiator. famous one. Sort of one uh, where it revives that genre and for about a couple of years later you get copies after copies yeah. and they just get worse, worse, worse. Yes. And, 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 and then a Eventually, people yeah. have to reappraise the like you know stick with the tropes and then do something else. Yeah, we but, go from Cohen's True Grit to Magnificent Seven, mm. that train wreck that it was. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, no actual train wreck. No, even no. worse. No. God damn, True Grit's a good movie. Um, the the example. I'm just trying to think of what I was trying to do. Some live googling um, here is. Um, Probably the French connection in this genre. Heist, mm-hmm. heist is is maybe you know the other big one. Dog Day Afternoon probably as a pure. Mm-hmm. Um, I still love as, Heist from um, Mammoth. Oh, the Mammoth one. Yeah. Mammoth yeah, one yeah, is yeah. quite good. Um, I'm just trying to think of what 
Oh, you mean something, something like yeah, like the the, the, like the a quintess- or a yeah. top copy or something. Yeah, like, like the, yeah. the the quintessential heist movies that come around sort of generationally. Like, I think you're you know. talking about De Niro's The Score, <laughs> <laughs> directed by Frank Oz. Is you know what? I, I love, like the score. I love I the you score. Know what? Yeah. I like the score. Yeah, I like uh, the score. it even has disgustingly fat Marlon Brando. Yeah, in yeah. It's got who apparently wasn't wearing pants during. No, and it's got the it's got the impression of Ed Norton doing his thing. I'm not going to do on the show because I'm going to offend someone but it's <laughs> you know it's very good <laughs> yeah yes yeah but I remember that came out the score and the heist came out like within six months of each other it's one yes. of those versus sort of situations you know yes. you had the ants movies and the media movies and all that kind of shit um, and both of them were like really well liked oh they're very good yeah, I, yeah yeah I'll get I'd, I'd give the score another watch that oh, was a fun movie mm. that was a fun movie and um and yeah, so you sort of Bassett as well. She plays. The, yeah, she was the, the, uh, De Niro's girlfriend. Yeah. He's got the jazz. He club. owns the jazz club. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's the most real life De Niro portrayal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always see that as like you know what may have been if it's a, as a sort of a as we've if you've said like insomnia is. Insomnia oh, is one hundred percent is one hundred percent a sequel, and your boy Nolan as well. Yeah, yeah. You would have heard. Yeah, with the amazing yeah. Adam Frost on yeah. the plane, yeah. Nolan is like telling yeah. him all the secrets of Heat and going to make Insomnia the yeah. sequel. <laughs> How dare you, Nolan? And he's that's he he wanted the cocaine sniffing Vincent Hanna yeah. in that movie yeah. hard yeah. because yeah. that's the guy that goes and and does something dodgy in a crime list. scene. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So we have completely gone off track. We're at the hundred breaking discipline. And this is what happens. This is what happens. We're at the hundred and fifty first minute of Michael Mann's nineteen ninety five crime opus heat. And if you don't know, um, as I sort of alluded to in the beginning, we're in the middle of the LA Hilton near the airport. And we've sort of seen in, in the last minute that I had these guys on, so very fortuitously we talked about Amy Brenneman's character Edie sort of awakening from a dream. And in the preceding minute, the hundred and fiftieth um, we actually kind of get to see that. And so you watch Neil McCauley come in, ingratiate himself into this hotel, change into a, a uniform that's on a, on a on a rack, walk upstairs, hide from um, uh, hide from a concierge slash uh, co- uh, shotgun toting undercover cop. Um, and we begin this minute with Neil going up in upstairs in the hotel and beginning his infiltration to attempt to get Wayne grown. So that's where we're kicking it off. and uh, And I believe... Um, that I may have to quote a Twitter DM between the three of us where Garth said, it is exceptionally believable uh, that this guy, uh, the concierge in LA is also a cop because no cops can afford to live in LA. They always have to have a second job. So I'm sure we'll dive more into that in just a minute. Um, But we're going to watch this minute together again, guys, as Neil ascends in this elevator up to slay the damn dragon of this movie. Um, And then we're going to come back and talk about it with you. I'm staying here. I'm checking the stairs. There's smoke. I'm pulling you up. Your attention, please. What about her dad? You want me to call him? He's somewhere in the Sierras. She chose you. 
Somewhere in the Sierras. Sierra Nevada, yeah. Oh, let people go away then up there. <laughs> now, <clears throat> one thing that struck me is we last Friday mm. went to watch Alien and Aliens. Yes, at we did. The Ritz at Ramwick. It was a blast. And on many things that happened on the drive home, which mm. we're not going to go into, obviously, <laughs> not in front of the microphone. <laughs> but we did. Well, talk that's about, not familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> we did talk about the difference, the difference in disciplines between alien and aliens. Mm. Yeah. And the little touches, and man does it a fair bit in this, <laughs> of just the occasional subtle close-ups. Yes. And we mm. see at the beginning of this minute. I love. Like this, the use of the fire alarm, just as that way to sort of laser focus on what's happening. So everything we've got is, he could have been fine with just, he could have walked by and just pressed it. Yes. But I love the way just, to, again, we've, we've commented, we've had a few minutes together where we've highlighted the editing in this of just those little jumps. It's the relaxed break. pacing kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, just those jumps to the little close-ups. Then we get yeah. the jumps to the actual the elevator to show that it's uh, what's yeah. happening but it's just those nice little way man constantly just breaks it up with just a little visual flair and, we, and yeah. it's the same thing Cameron did in you know when Ripley's getting all gunned up and he just cuts to some of the close ups of the ammunition yes. yeah doesn't need to like no. she could sit there just feeding shells into a thing but he just breaks it up for a second to just just it gives it a little sort of tactile sense to the yeah. scene, yeah, yeah. And and also it's like um, we also have a fire alarm here, with yeah. The, with the glass that shatters, I think yeah. Like and, and, and I I love that for, from the sense of like it's like this experiential camera. It's because you're in a space, and yeah. then they take you to where their focus areas are almost. Yeah. And then like you can do that in a really overt way. There's some great ones in Sin City with Robert Rodriguez, and there's some phenomenal voiceover with Mickey Rourke's you know that big uh, the big hulking hulking dude who's you know hatchet and he's like describing what he's taking (laughs) with stuff and it's showing all on the screen but in this it's interesting like this shot here where we have this shot of De Niro getting with his gun ready and then the shot of the alarm both from almost like a child's perspective looking up yes everything's looking up and it's like it's almost that's what I mean by experiential it's like it's Neil glancing at things you know what I love and I love the fucking in this one the, the tie clip yeah, he's like it's just like he's so decked out perfectly. It's still Neil. <laughs> he's not that. Russian. He's just like oh, making sure I'm all well. Because like, he, he won't again. Like he like from the very start of the film, he won't stand out when you no. in a lineup. No. He'll just look. He has to look like everyone else. But I, I love the how prepared he is. Does the the field check of his mm-hmm. gun? He's not like he's going up there to do the business, and it implies. I know you guys have. Said maybe he's got, he's got ex, he's maybe ex-military or Definitely something because he's got the tattoos. Yeah, yeah. Um, we know Hannah's military. Um, I'd like to think that he is. Yeah. Um, just the way he does that of just checking the gun, so he's not getting up there going to like you know. It would certainly explain so much of the character of the discipline. And oh, the, for that sure. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're here. He's, he's, I love, there is no one that I've seen do this. And I think, and, and I've, and in preparation for this minute, mm-hmm. I just want to talk, how many people have you seen back themselves into the corner of the elevator? Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought about this because there's an elevator, several elevators at different work sites that I work at. And I'm like, I have never done what Neil does. And that is such an amazing touch. Obviously it is. Yeah, as far as sym- symmetry-wise, like if we're talking about formal aptitude here, it's a very beautifully uh, a frame shot in the third second. If we just were freeze-framing here, beautifully framed, looking it's a up. Pretty elevator. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's elegantly lit. And For a freight elevator. And, and, and 
again, no qualms that Dante Spinotti is a master. He's lit this to perfection for this reflection, and, and it's all lined up from man and his camera operators. But yeah, the field check is in there, and that is like the total consummate professional tucked into the corner. His back is to the wall. In this scenario, his back is to the wall. Well, and you get the sense that it's so he's slightly concealed when he, he knows that when he opens up the top, if someone happens to be around the corridor or he's tucked into a corner, yeah. yes. he's at least got a chance. Yeah. That, you know, he's got the extra jump on someone that he may need, especially if he's going into... Oh, it begs to the, you know, it's like, I guess, with spies and all that sort of stuff, that when they can walk into a place and immediately case where all the exits are, where all the things are, little threats in the room. It's that kind of thinking. Yeah, we don't... And, you know, we, we were robbed, no pun intended, mm. of seeing how he took got into Van Sant's. Mm. Like up yeah. the hill. Yes. But he mm. goes up so effortlessly. Yeah, he like just through, sneaks a, in. through a compound. So you get yeah. to this. Like the, the foresight. Probably climbed a cum tree according exactly, to the last episode. Exactly. <laughs> and you get and to go downstairs and just play off systems as mm. well. Like he knew when he was stealing the ambulance mm. that no one would look at a, a at that time you're going into a busy emergency room. No one's yeah. got to bat an eyelid at an ambulance officer wa- or driver walking through. He knows this that at Whatever o'clock, if it's near, say it's ten o'clock. Ten o'clock at yeah. night. Yeah. Anyone who's gets the call downstairs, hotel, yeah, yeah, they get the call, and he's like, "Oh, they forgot to do it again." He yeah. says it so casually that, that the person's that's, like, that's the thing, and like, that's the trick. You go and play many places, and I've, you know, in our jobs, we've been in a couple of places where you probably shouldn't have been, and just gone wandering. And if you walk in with enough confidence and enough, just sort of relaxed, like you're meant, look like you're meant to be there, it's amazing how long you will get well, before it, someone stops you, it, or before you actually hit a roadblock where it's like, okay. No, we have to. Do you guys see compliance? The doc, uh, it was a, based on the true story about the guy who rang up the McDonald's. Oh, no, I didn't got see them that. And to keep doing it, and it went up oh, and yes, up yeah, and up yeah, and up. Yeah, and it gets to a point where you're like, okay, I'm, this is getting ridiculous. Mm. But it was apparently pretty close to the true story. Mm. But it's funny if you just... People want to sort of respond to some kind of authority or some mm. kind of the system. Mm. So this, how he taps into, oh, yeah, they do it all the time. Oh yeah, here you go. Because it's not out of the ordinary. It's mm. he, you know, knows these systems. He's probably state. He's probably cased one, a hotel for for a job before or something. And, yeah, like, like trying to rob something from a hotel. Yeah, yeah. Just, but people also, you know, especially with that one where he's on the phone before he's checking, they know where the phone calls coming. Yeah, from. they're like no, it's, 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 from inside the so house. People, there's not, there's so, not yeah. only the thing about you know the confidence system. People just uh, believe enough in the system as itself. Yeah, we're perfunctory. It's, kind of, it's yeah. got its own protection. Yeah. Like, yeah, nothing on. And no, you can no, play no. on that as long as you don't give them the excuse yeah. to go. Who is this? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's what brought Han Solo undone. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm fine. How are yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> Too much bands. Now, was this about C. Stewart you were talking about? Yeah, oh, so his name, um, tag. his name tag is C. Stewart. Yep. C. It's if not only it was like K. Stewart, then you would have like all the Kristen Stewart fans. Uh, yeah. <laughs> K. Stewart. And how's it? Is it U A R T? No, E E W. The wrong way to spell it. The wrong way. Sorry. And still looking very sharp. Gets his mag light torch. And we're about 17 seconds in the minute. He gets out on the 17th floor where he knows that Jameson, a.k.a. Wango, is. And boom, little pull the fire. We actually watch the glass break. And, and here's the thing. This is where you can't really do this film anymore because, you know, this is 95, post, you know, 2001, all that sort of stuff. Every elevator in almost every major hotel has, like, cameras. Yes. Especially oh, both yeah. at the exit points and the entry points and within the, the thing and, and some of the... And in 2019, some of the cameras have facial recognition. Well, especially a fucking Hilton, <laughs> which is like... They've had terrorist bombings. <laughs> and that was the funny thing. I, like, speaking about heist films, I watched uh, Court King of Thieves. Yeah, yeah. Like the Michael Caine one, about the, the London robbery. And it's all the 
old school crooks doing it. Mm. But it seemed, and I don't know if it was just exaggerated for the film, but when you layer on modern technology, they sort of clean them up in a lazy afternoon, just going, bing, 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 bing. It's all on footage. It's this. It's capturing everything and rounding them up in, in no time because of the technology. That's what I love about this. Mm. These films of the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, up to a sort of a point yeah. before mobiles came in, before yeah. we sort of hit... When was Enemy of the State? Late 90s? 98. Yeah, so that's when it started to turn and we were starting to do sort of bring satellites into narratives yeah, and things yeah. like that. There's some mobile phones in this, but they're not, they're just perfunctory. They're yeah. not for really, they're giving just exposition. Oh, they're not for any doing, sort of surveillance culture. Yeah, and, and now we have to have the, we write into every see horror film. Fast, the, see how fast that was, 95 to 98. See how fast the transition yeah. I mean, the tech is quick. I mean, I remember uh, one, well, of the, one of the beautiful things, if you go back and watch uh, Alias, which is J.J. Abrams' first series, in the first season, there's like a, a character who's like the Q of the Bond movies. It's a gig. And he's geeking out about his latest invention, a remote modem, mm. which is like about the size of a fucking brick. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, oh my God, you can actually transmit remotely? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like even you look at like Casino Royale to yeah. Skyfall. Like yeah. even a couple of that's six, that's and, six years yeah, yeah and it's yeah. already like more tracking things and more this and more And that. everything's like, going back. It's lo-fi yeah, south of yeah. grid. Well, that's why going on the radio. That's why you almost want films to be nostalgic for this period so you can go... We don't have those. the cameras and everywhere. You don't have the phones and everywhere. that yeah. you track everything. This is... All these... All those systems have grown exponentially every year. Well, it's kind of like and, why know, Captain Marvel worked out of yeah. night. For a certain extent, like taking yeah. out certain technology yes. is interesting because you... You A, don't... You've got to find more interesting things for your actors to do in the space. Yeah. And you're not having to write silly ways of getting around, like blocking out mm. the camera or... Yeah. I like, I love that he takes a little pause, just to make sure to make sure it's working. Yes, because it's not going to screw up on his watch. Yeah, and also he's so he 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 wants to see that the lifts are behaving in the way that he knows they're going to behave, which is that they're going to go down. But he's so amped that he's just like, I've got, but I'm going to stop and get this right. And mm-hmm. so we know we can see all the the other lifts are going down, which is and it's again reinforcing in the message. Why did he stop to look at that? What was he doing? Now, in the I said in the previous minute, and I think it may have been shot in one sequence, but they've sort of deftly spliced in another quick view of Edie just to sort of see her starting to react to the external stimulus of like the hotel now has an alarm going off. Neil's walked in a few moments ago. Now the goddamn place has got an alarm and a fire alarm and people are spilling out of the building. So she's there yeah. and, and freaking out. Mm. And finally, we're like actually getting to see like this Wayne Grow as Jameson in this hotel has been talked about in this movie. And we're finally now like here at his door. We're not really, we haven't quite seen him yet. What do we got? The monitor watching his door. Yeah. Right, the monitor watching the beauty, his door. I love this sort of, the, the, the go back there with the thing. They have this, uh, the TV is tagged with property of LAPD. Yeah. You can tell like cops are like obviously taking. <laughs> but you'd be here. surprised how much stuff is Lifted. On police, no, and on police property yeah, like yeah. that, that there are things that you go, really? But yeah, because yeah, yeah. and some poor schmuck has a job of going around to audit all those to make and, sure. And they've look sort at how cool. we talk about like you know technology. We just went on a technology tangent, but it's so pertinent and is still. You look forty-one seconds into this minute, like it's a hard-wired phone, mini yeah. camera on the phone yeah. into the There's into like a the, mini monitor into there the viewfinder, into, yeah, into the yeah. viewfinder yeah. on the door, and like they've got like manual tape to like tape all this wiring up. Like yeah. it's literally like this podcast studio right yeah, now. Pretty much. <laughs> 
Oh, oh, yeah. And they're full of like cop steak out food with like the chicken yeah. on the plate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, the goddamn chicken getting cold. <laughs> Are you familiar with uh, Matt Gawley's podcast? I was there too. No. So the whole con- the whole premise of the Great show, show is to interview the people, the smallest actors in the biggest biggest films. Okay. So he interviewed. Um, yeah. Like uh, Jeanette Goldstein came in for mm-hmm. her roles in all the Cameron films. Yeah, yeah. he had the thing that, he, that kicked it all off was interviewing the woman who was pushing the pram in the Untouchables. <laughs> <laughs> so, or he got like, for instance, he got the people yeah, yeah. on the bus in Speed. Okay, yeah, and yeah, they'd go yeah. through their backstories. Yeah, yeah. I always wanted you to get one of these, these guys. Because <laughs> you go, Justin Armour came on the show a long time ago, and he gets run into by Al Pacino in an upcoming scene. It'd be, oh, he's an extra. He got run into in this scene. It's like, the, Justin, the, if you're listening, hello. It, it'd be interesting to see what their perspective on the, like they probably, you know, how long they're there for, what they did, but these guys give it their all for, for their screen time. They really <laughs> go for it. Like, they're, they're literally here just to, to, to have this sequence and then to get beaten up by Neil and yeah. like in a very, very uh, close proximity. Yeah. No, thing. no, you get, you, when you get someone from this film, you get the SWAT guard who when he puts, sits back and sits gets back. Like, triggers Captain it. Hydration. Yeah. Captain Hydration. <laughs> and you know about Captain Hydration? He's mm. actually the son mm. of an ex-president. Really? Yes. Okay. I'm going to find his name right now. <laughs> Continue vamping for me, gentlemen. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> so that people can't. So the cops are watching. The people are running out of the hotel. But it's interesting again how he jumps from another form, like to, the way he breaks up from going from Edie mm-hmm. to then jumping to looking through this monitor. Yeah. Again, he just has those... Stephen Ford. Sorry, Officer Bruce Gerald. Gerald Ford. Ford. Oh, Jerry Son. Ford. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Has been in Black Hawk Down, has been in Starship Troopers, he's been there in uh, When Harry Met Sally, and in this movie as Captain Hydration, as dubbed by <laughs> Joe Lynch. Not a bad filmography. Great filmography. Um, so these guys are now looking over Wango's door. Like I, I, I think it goes to exactly what you talked about, Stu, which is like, even way back when we were all together with Mr. Luke Buckmaster in those first opening heist minutes and we were talking about the like encroaching geography of a scene, like it was this momentum towards a position. I think this is now like this really cool moment where we're seeing destination. It is almost like when we do pull, you know, when you see Treya pull up or when you see the truck park under the bridge or you see those things, it's like we're now seeing destination finally in this movie and we're seeing where, where Neil's going. And all these points of like, you know, a smashing glass. So what numbers are going down? Like we're finally here. And what what detail as well? Like you say, with the the chicken there on the like the the, the room service, the cup. Mm. Again, knowing man's preparation, he's probably made these guys sit in there for two days. <laughs> to get it does comfy. look like a room like, has been like well used. And it abused. looks like you can almost taste the smell of that room. Like there's a, well, you yeah, can yeah, generally. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is a, this is a, it's a airport dank. hotel. Yeah. It's, it's, you only, the only things that happen at airport hotels are generally fucking or sleeping. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you know, that's just it's, the staff. Yeah. <laughs> that's not even the guests. Uh, well, you know, I've had fun with staff at various hotels. I shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> way to break this up as well like oh you have the hospital soon yeah but this sort of this it really it is the nicest hospital foyer I've ever seen but this weaves as well when you're why are you like why are you taking us back to the like the the momentum has built to such a like relentless pace there and you're like oh god he's gonna get him and he just goes nope 
Yeah, he's tension in the house. diffuser. Yeah. yeah, a nice tension diffuser of us taking us back to the fallout of Lauren. And, and again, the payout, the payoff for us is going to be when he ups and runs down the step to get him back in the game. Yes. Because like, at this stage, he's, he's so checked out. He, you know, it's like if you asked him who McCauley is now, he'd barely be able to recall mm. much of the case. As far as he's concerned, it's over. Yeah. yeah. And then all of this happens. He's already checked out, yeah. The, you know, we get some excellent chewing. Here's the here's the the gum the gum from hell the most chewable <laughs> gum. In and I don't now, what, what color is those couches? Evergreen. What color is green? he? What color is the tan that he had applied to him? I don't know. He looks like a he looks like a crocodile that's been sunbaking. What's he's going a, on? He's, he's Italian. A, they he's have a good beautiful that's, Italian. That's, look at man. that. That's not. That is not. That's tan. That's almost boot polish that's around him. Look at that. <laughs> not. <laughs> Come on, Copper Tone was big back then. Yeah. yeah. And, listen, and you know what, gentlemen? I just forgot. You know, we talked about the, the people who are preceding you. We're right on the precipice of the great Pasquale Boober's favorite minute of this movie. <laughs> that's because I think that's where I'm getting the chewing from was because yeah. you left a little snippet of that out before of him talking about the, the fa- him yeah. chewing. Chewing, chewing, chewing that gum. God damn it, Diane Venora was beautiful right then. She's a stunner. And and I think I like her so much more because she's just... You, we, we, in the last time that we were together, we were talking about, you know, really being conflicted and and feeling uh, significant discomfort thinking about Edie and we really talked the ins and outs of agency. And you get this wonderful moment with, like, Diane Venora and you're like, she's just so goddamn likeable. She's just so goddamn likable because she's just blousy and she challenges Vincent. And I think yeah. the the women in this it's a very movie, interesting, very mutual kind of equal relationship. Yeah. What she anyway. goes with in the in this final sort of half an hour of the film, from the breakup, from like the Ralph breakup to the the <laughs> incident with Natalie Portman. I yeah. think you, I think you've been Ralphed. Needs to be something. Can we <laughs> just agree if you, if your ex does it, Ralph? Oh, it's so. Well, as our friend Lawrence Barber said on this thing, is like we don't know what she and Ralph got up to, but he wanted to get out of there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like she's it's like, like she's like as I said before, she could be. She would totally, you know. I know a couple of people who run uh, not brothels, but the kind of you know the S and M palaces where they do, people go for you know just get a little no, bit, no, a bit, no, 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 little bit of no, and snip. No, uh, no, no. Wait, slow. Whoa, whoa. She whoa, would be whoa, a great whoa, sort yeah. of like. Whoa, yeah. Oh, oh, you mean like the brakes, Macaulay? <laughs> oh, you mean like Jerry's place? No, sorry, don't don't have a place at the top of my head where I can go to. <laughs> but she would be a great, like you know, sort of madam that runs one of those places. She sure, has that kind of <laughs> I'm still getting my head around the need for one of those places. <laughs> I'm not begrudging anyone that needs one. I just don't have one in the roller decks. <laughs> no, been there, been there. It's oh. LA. Everyone yeah. Oh, okay. Thing. Sure. <laughs> I, I thought you were about to like hand out a coupon code or something. You know. Just I do have a discount. Thought, I do have a discount of a name. Literally, just when you thought you'd heard everything that Garth could say on this show. <laughs> oh, I think there's more coming. There's more. I think there's it's more. like... In the, it's literally my favorite thing about being his friend. It's like, like I never know where it's going, and I'm so happy. The Ralph thing is like the baller way to do the breakup as yeah, well. Yeah. Like oh. to to go, not only are you cheating on me, I've got the best line of like, you know, I do what I say and I say what I mean and all that sort of stuff. And then to go off at Ralph and take the TV, it's like. I don't know if you caught Liam Neeson's. Did you catch Cold Pursuit? Yes. Oh no, I haven't seen. Oh, that okay. Well, they like. In it, someone, I, I'll just, without going into too many spoilers, but there's a great thing. Someone leaves 
a note to someone in order to do a breakup and mm. it comes in in a plain white envelope and they open up and it's a plain white card and when they open it up it's empty just a plain <laughs> white and I'm like that is the most ball way to break up like you're not even worth I've got writing. nothing to say <laughs> I'm just going, but you took the time to open it I was like I'm tempted <laughs> to like derail my current relationship <laughs> just so just I can do it that way. Yeah, just yeah. to have that much hand as George Costanza yeah. would call it. I'm just so glad this isn't being recorded. So, <laughs> terrible. You're a sadistic man. Right? Yeah, but I'm not wrong. You'd be great for one of those S&M pellets. Well, hook a brother up. <laughs> well, do, well, do. I think Dark Horizons would be a good name for you get, you get a sponsor of gig or cinephiles. Who knows? Maybe that's Tuesday nights. So yeah. Tuesday Tuesday nights at Dark Horizon Cinephiles. (laughs) But they, she's so good here. Like this, the way she's sort of gone from so cocky during the Ralph thing. Yeah. In that sort of like, it's it's the child that like purposely breaks the thing and then Mm -hmm. waits for the parent to get angry. She's gone, look, what have I got to do? I'm going to call, I'm going to throw in the towel, the throw in the pathetic yoga pant wearing towel which is Ralph <laughs> and then, and she's, she's doing the thing it's the brashy statement Ralph sit down doing the brashy thing to then the look she gives him in the emergency room when oh, yeah. Natalie Portman's on the bed and she's like I finally get this cop stuff yes like yeah. I I see the stuff why you're not coming home and talking to me about it yes and I think that carries through to this scene where she's looking yeah. at him snuggled in like they just had a divorce his body language is couldn't be colder yes like he is almost perfunctory at this stage going mm. I am don't want you to get the don't get the thought for a second that I'm back like yeah. he's like they're there they're there like I'm going to get you mm-hmm. through this and I'm going to be here but he's sort of chewing the gum more or less like marking time like how long like the yeah. engine's starting to rev up about mm. you know oh yeah but then yeah, and her just looking that look like oh, and then when it goes on to be like, do you think, do you think we could do this? And I love the way he's like, mm, he can't say no. He's just like, mm, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. just like you Don't. said. And it's funny. It's that way of like using the, no, nah, remember when you called me a bad guy? I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. pulling that in now. I'm using your own words against Here's you. Here's an empty card. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't write it. <laughs> but yeah, she's, oh, she's got a real power. She has pre- she's a magnetic presence. It's, yeah. it's like there are three women in this movie, and they're all very quite different, especially in terms of how they're the handle the relationships and so forth. And whereas you have Annie Bremen, who's almost like a, a very much a younger girl than she normally. Is. I would describe yeah. her as being quite meek. Yeah, <laughs> you again. <laughs> Deep callbacks. Twenty episodes ago, callbacks on the show. Oh, strong. Really you have strong. the sort of weird differing levels of codependence and different levels of emotional investment in these sort of things and this is probably the most equal and I guess adult satisfactory kind of relationship of the whole, of the whole three major ones anyway yeah oh yeah well well, well Chris, um, yeah. Char- sorry Charlene and Neil have this weird um, equilibrium if you like oh, Judd Jod- and De Niro Judd and De Niro they would understand you yes They've got like an understanding. They know where the boundaries yeah. are. They know where the boundaries are, and the, but but in their relationship, there's the same sort of equality of you know agency as there is between Justin and Vincent. And it's strange because they're not having a loving relationship. It's Neil trying to control the crew, and he's using 
Charlene to control Chris in essence. She's, a guard, she's more of a guard. But Chris is also, yeah, something of a train record. Yeah, himself. Chris is she's basically cleaning up his mess. She's cleaning up his mess. Yeah, uh, she's, yeah. Well, she's, 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 the, she's the stability that Neil needs Chris to have. Well, Chris yeah. is like a second child. Really? Yeah, like exactly. her, he, she's raising him and Dominic. Yeah. It just happens that he's good. Really, you know what? Really, just a child really, growing older. That's it. Mm-hmm. But this is, I, I, this is a, a, a little bit of intimacy for them in what is the, the, the death rattles of the relationship. Mm. Like there, there is no coming. No, there's no coming back, and I don't think. I, I mean, but she's also someone who you would think the character is someone who would be fine, ultimately fine with that. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, she would, and she's also she's a pra- about she, this. But she's, she's a pregnant pragmatist. Yeah. She, at the, in this moment of desperation, and I think she knows that it's there. She's just like, oh, she's uh, not to, not to tread too much on the great, you know, the, the great Pascal Buber who's coming up, like in the next scene. But you know, in the next scene, there's a wonderful moment where he goes you know he says all I am is what I'm going after you know you're right all I am is what I'm going after and it's like he gets a beep and she goes you need to go and Diamond Ori just does this maneuver where she kind of like straightens up her posture and she kind of like cleans the tears that are rolling down her cheeks and goes yeah I'm going to be okay I got this Jesus father and she is just there's, there's a there's a there's a metal Mm. That is in her character that it yep. just reeks in the rest of her performance. It was sold to her by Neil McCauley. <laughs> <laughs> you, you pondered in the last minute we spent together. Lady. About, about, <laughs> Who do you care? About what I am what I do. Amy Brenneman's sort of relationship history. You get the sense mm. that Justine has pissed off people she's got pissed off and walked out of yeah. several. Oh, I, I, I have no she, doubt she's like, she's the one that's broken up. Yeah, the she's. Yeah hit this wall with so many people yeah. she finally hit someone that she can't break mm. because he's not there mm. and she can, he's not <laughs> he's not emotionally invested enough to be like to yeah. be a combatant that she would probably need the back and forth uh, mm. she didn't even break his TV no 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 no. it's so, almost nigh unbreakable television oh my life oh, so <laughs> that was a bit too much Columbo <laughs> but no there's something about, there's, there is a real power to her yeah. as much as there is this sort of silliness to her as well in that sense that she is a bit bratty in this. She's a bit sort of, why me? Like, what he, like to bust his balls when he's like, obviously come home from work. Like, this is not a nine to five guy who's gone out drinking and is rolled no, in. This no. is a guy who's obviously... Who works very odd hours, long yeah, hours. Yeah, but if, and, if, and if he is out at, th- at late, yeah. it's not for a good reason. So it's not like he's out coming in wiping lipstick off the collar. Like he's no, he's and then out she's like, yeah. no, that's oh. Den of Thieves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then, like she, because again, the, the the whole chicken scene, I still think is really interesting in this. That it sums up. It's sort of a nice bookend to this sort of relationship. That mm. I think this is what Justine wanted. wanted. This closeness and this being there. She wanted to understand it. She was like, you know, you talk about people talk, you know, from a really boring perspective is like you know people have different learning styles you know know, audio visual like or kinesthetic it's like with Justine she was never going to be able to hear uh, like hear him talk about it and understand even though she was like that's what she felt like she wanted as far as attention how she felt love but in this moment she's like literally you know for better or worse as kinesthetically like she's literally nearly tasted how the experience of him like bringing in Lauren Giving instructions, saving a life, like it's, you know, you know, stabilizing a patient and making something happen, and it's like this is just something that was never going to be in her wheelhouse. It was never going to exist, and now in that moment, there's this fleeting glimpse of what their relationship could be, but it's all 
Oh, sorry, burnt it down. Yeah, she did a great. She did the great. I mean, Vincent burnt it down prior to that. Like Vincent he, laid the fuel. She lit the fire. Yeah, yeah. She, she lit the fire with a napalm. <laughs> but also, he's left. That's why he. You know, he's on the hey, Ralph was the kindling. He's on the downhill of a of a marriage. His third. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that. He's burnt. How out. many marriages has Justine had? That's a good question. I don't. Well, know. that's two at least. Him and the ex. The ex with the. So you did. Yeah. Is it three for her too? I don't know. Good that's point. the father. Husband's dead tech postmodern bullshit <laughs> house. And that's her third. Well, no, maybe thing, it's her second. Yeah, because you get the sense it's, ju- it's Lauren's dad, and she's what about twelve? Twelve. Mm-hmm. So you get the sense she's he's been out of the picture a few years. You get this. You you get the sense they've been there for a while, but mm. and she's at the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe that puts her at about sort of mid twenties when she married. So there's a chance she wasn't married before. Yeah. Um. But you think also age is a factor in this case, whereas, you know, uh, in her case, she's probably the oldest of the three women in there. Yeah. That plays a huge part. She's easily the most mature. Age appropriate. Yeah. Age appropriate for Vincent in this. Oh, it's, a, it's actually an excellent in terms yeah. of like an adult relationship in these sort of movies where so many of them cast so much younger with the women and that kind of yeah. stuff, especially but, in 90s movies. But yeah. really, she's and got here, it's like, it's, it's actually really like a nice coupling. It's right on. She's got and no choice to, but to straighten her. Like, she's got no choice but to say, I'll be okay because mm. a fucking daughter who I've overlooked is downstairs, <laughs> like, at death's door. Yeah. But she has like, been medicating a lot of cases. Medication, people who do that sort of medicating a lot. Yeah, but she's not young, don't self- suddenly have like a lucid moment where it's like, oh my god, I got to get around. She's not been smoking a lot of weed as well. Yeah, so she's been doing, she's been burning, <laughs> shagging a lot of Ralph. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that Ralph wants to get hooked. <laughs> Sandra Berkeley in yeah. a loose-fitting jumper and terrible pa- tracky pants. Again, what's it with this film and dudes like, like not appropriately like. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't be like the guys that should be watching sport are watching sport. Ralph and Van Sant have no business watching. <laughs> <play>. <laughs> I think Ralph's watching the Lakers, and it's like he's got no business. At least watching. he's watching a a geographically a relevant yeah, yeah, sport. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Van Sant's even more like weird and, and douchey, and it should have been Van Sant. You would think it's like he's watching these sort of movies. He'd be like, hockey. no, he wouldn't be watching hockey. He should he'd be, be watching the equestrian. Like, yeah, he'd be watching yeah. equestrian or listening yeah. to classical music, or almost like a Bond villain kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Ralph should have got touched up. Touched up? <laughs> no. Yeah, like, I, I, I think getting a dressing down, getting a dressing down from Vincent like that is just such so sublime. Cool. It's sublime. It's sublime. One day, <laughs> I hope there's a VR experience. <laughs> you get dressed up where you get to be Ralph, <laughs> and you go to get up, and he just yells at you yeah. in the manner of heat. It'd be beautiful. Well, that's the beauty of that scene. It's like it's not that he gets angry at Ralph. He's just like he's just talking fairly calmly, and then like. He'll shout, but not at the things you expect him to no, be shouting. No, but also, like... <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah, it's like yelling, but not yelling. But yeah. he's saying, Ralph, sit But he's also <laughs> doing a thing of instantly controlling a situation yeah. where he can abuse... Like, he, we've seen him do it the whole way through. He only goes yeah. off at the vulnerable people. He never go, He never yells at anyone with yeah, he's, authority. He's, he's, no, no, he, yeah. no, he doesn't do anything to Neil... He doesn't do anything to but his he, crew. He, that, 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 that happens with a, that happens. A, that's a very male thing, though. Yeah, you of see course. it with a lot of guys where oh, they, just a dominance. They'll thing. immediately yeah. see it with men. They'll either be someone who they can they see as a subordinate, or someone who's like a peer equal, or they defer to. Yeah, or uh, shaming in front, of, shaming in front of. But, but Vincent, yeah, Vincent, the Vincent has a hierarchical um, um, approach to the way uh, he appraises criminal informants because he mm. calls them all rats like even though they're doing him a favor oh, yeah. necessarily he calls them all rats and he, tr- he treats them like rodents like mm. and and with ralph 
I think it's him relinquishing his pressure. Like it's like he's trying to control that situation to have it off with Justine because he actually wants to have an argument with Justine. He's like, oh, I'll go. No, Ralph, sit down. Like I've given you an instruction. <laughs> no, but there's also a bit of it. It's like you are not like I'm not. I'm gonna rub your. I'm gonna rub your nose in it. Yeah, Justine. stay here. You get you to are stay gonna, here. No, you're not. You uh, you're stay gonna here. you're gonna stay and play happy home. Because that's what you want. Because yeah. you know, yeah, you stay here because you know everything that you guys have just done is cool. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, but and this is then such an interesting way then to come back to this of just how quiet and a moment it is, especially when we've just left frantic. Action. Right? Yeah, but again, this was frantic. It's like mm. the the contrast of these different scenes when you see, you know, the and in our previous minute that we discussed in one thirty, you saw. The fallout of, you know, the facade of fantasy Neil to reality Neil. And then that pivots immediately, you know, after Neil sort of standing there in the smog in LA, that pivots to the Ralph scene. You get like these two minutes of this, you know, very, very candidly, you know, destruction of relationship that only sort of escalates with that Ralph sit down moment. Most of it's like, aren't you going to, aren't you angry? And he's like, yes, I'm very, very angry, Ralph. You know, like he literally says, I'm very angry. But the strange thing is we get... As much as we get Macaulay's decline here, we mm. get actually the rise of Pacino. Yes. Of Vincent. 100%. Because we get him... Yes, he, he yells at Ralph. You know, it's comical. But he takes himself out of the situation. Like, it's obviously... Yeah, he doesn't do the bad thing. He it, makes the right choice. Yeah, but it's obviously a place of angst and he's not good for him or mm. Justine or the daughter. Like, it's actually been become a negative spot and he's been bringing that home. He's been bringing his work home and not... Like, the deal should have been that he leaves it at Definitely, work yeah. and, and burns it off somehow before 100%. he comes in. So he does the thing of, like, taking it away, getting himself out of the situation, yeah. then comes storming to the rescue here yeah. and is boom, 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 making it happen. But again, it's another good thing. Then he's back comforting her where he can. So you actually see the rise mm. where Macaulay's going off the deep end back. It's just interesting how they both come out of the heist going the, different, the, different, different ways going like, in, yeah. and really like because I'm not like he was on his way down on that but he was he was enjoying I think like you know he mucks around in the house when he has to fight with Justine and then just goes and plays helicopter and yeah. goes and finds so he's relishing the fact that he's got a house there well, well, he seemed like he wasn't caring well, he was sleepwalking through it yeah, yeah. You know. yeah he was sleepwalking through it and also we were watching Vincent make big risky plays so to speak and a lot of them are coming off wrong yeah and so now what we're actually seeing is Vincent being for for a large proportion of everything up until the Laurentine, he's like he is ahead. He's like eight nine hours. Neil's gone. Like he's like so he's making all the moves. What we've mm. got to do? We've got this born again new citizen. You know he's he's getting information. He's he's planning the sea with Wayne Grove. He's trying to he's trying to ensnare him. They've got Drucker down there in Venice Beach trying to catch Chris. Like in his mind, there's a lot of maneuvers that are ready to come off, and a lot of traps that are ready to be triggered. And 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 we've seen him be very competent mm. up until this point. And even now in what seemingly failure, him relinquishing the fact that like, oh shit, these guys are gone. He's had to really turn up again and be there and, and be there in a really humane way for this poor little girl who's sort of stuck in this situation as well. And it's, again, as we saw in the last episode, we said, and you've said several times on this show, that's the beauty of the three hour runtime that you can take this, take the time what goes on to yeah. be only 90 seconds total of their exchange here. Yeah. But yeah. the impact of that and slowing the film down to let everyone catch their breath. It does it so well, the ebbs and flows and the just, all right, 
everyone gets settled. We're going to yeah. go back to Wangro. We're going to go. We're going to get there for that. But, but this, a key to that with this thing, this scene is which we haven't discussed yet, was the music. Yes, the music yeah. and that stuff at the heights of that, that with the violin sort of yeah. really fast, and then you have this quiet scene where it's all relaxing, and then because of that cue when it starts up again with the Wangro stuff, you immediately go back to that pacing a lot yeah. faster than had it been. Just some yeah, it like coaches you you what particular heart rate you need. It's like it's like yeah. um, interval training or something. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're doing your sprint and then you're walking it's and then your, you're sprinting. You have Lovian uh, heat response. To yeah, it. it's it's and that's that's the um, you know. I've had I've had this thought that maybe this movie has ruined me for other movies in some ways because because there's such a level of artistry and command of so many things one of which is you know that is often ruined in movies and can be really jarring and distracting is like just overwhelmingly bullshit music choices like dumb needle drops really overwhelming scores that are trying to manipulate your emotions and if it's incongruous with the filmmaker like you know Spielberg's like Capra, so the music doesn't necessarily bother me in a Spielberg movie, even when it is trying to manipulate my emotions. Um, but like the music in this, and especially the choices to have as little music as you need in this movie, in this epic, you know, so many spaces where it's quiet, so many spaces where you can ingratiate yourself into it just very naturally, waiting room ambience bullshit noise like there is here in a conversation happening, and then back to the high tone pacing, like the cleverness mm. of that. You see so many films that just don't have that same music. Just like mindset. visual effects, it's one of those things yes. where it should be used judiciously, and the best kinds are the ones where you almost it doesn't call attention to itself, but it's there and it knows how, when to play and when to be used just right. Yes. And it feels like it's it's one aspect of filmmaking that the artistry is not always evident of late. There mm-hmm. hasn't been. I mean, no, especially because so many scores are so interchangeable. And they feel so digital, the way yes. they're, they're, they don't have... Yeah, that's why the scores, like Nicholas Patel's score for, um, uh, for If Bill Street Could Talk, and then if you go back to The Phantom Thread and you hear Johnny Greenwood's score yeah, for yeah. The Phantom Thread, you're like completely mesmerised. And then the other flip side is like a Giacchino or whatever his name, Michael Giacchino. Giacchino, yeah. And then who we just... The, um, the one we just lost that was with Villeneuve, the Yosef... Was it Yosef oh, yeah, yeah. Hanna? Yeah. He was doing some... And who's that? There's the other one that does... Despite or whatever does the quite the moody sort of stuff. Yeah, Despite's uh, okay. I find Despite a bit... It can, off, yeah, Despite's... He's, he's gone off a bit. Who's one that's uh, the Mad Max guy that he's on everything now? Oh, Junkie XL. Yeah. Yeah. He's Junkie XL. A whole bunch of scores. Now. But they're very... I mean... That's like Hans. But Hans Zimmer is like the, the quintessential sort of... Bomb. Here's my score! Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't... <laughs> I just think Hans Zimmer just need. I, I want Hans Zimmer in just the jockstrap conducting. That's the thing with Hans Zimmer. I mean, it, those are the scores that you know drag attention to themselves, well, but they are good scores. I think if you, yeah. if you ever listen to a decent breakdown of sort of what Williams does, yeah. and it, we've gone away from that of assigning, especially it helps with these big epic sort of films. But that was always the way in those in the especially the '80s to early 90s it was always the, t- the duo it was always Williams yeah. or Jerry Goldsmith but and they were the two that dominated scores William, everything Williams <laughs> would have uh, assigned themes to people theme mm. where, like yes. to characters oh, yeah. whereas others do they do the scene not yeah. the character per se yeah, and so you then have the the swing. And that's why Spielberg has such an affinity for Williams because he does it for character character reason and, uh, and I think it sort of works in this because we're getting 
when that is that sort of quick and pace, but we are the, the frantic nature the, of the Macaulay quick, as opposed to this is a like this is downtime now. This could yeah, you know completely and, down. And this is when this is where there sort of starts to play a little too much with time in terms of how much is sort of mm. evaporated throughout the night. But you know, but that doesn't matter matter too much because you get these great moments where it has a time out and takes a breath so no it's a very a lot goes on in it in in this minute it's a stacked minute over two locations and well, two completely different moods like massively different moods uh, in what we're seeing and look just before we wrap up we can unequivocally say that we haven't gone for the travis woods hour and 22 for a single episode record I don't think we need to. Mm. I think you guys have done enough yards on this podcast and said enough things about it. We could have, though. We could have. We're we're not doing it because we don't want to. Do you want like a half-hour breakdown of the S&M Palace stuff? (laughs) Why do you need to get (laughs) asked? Do you even know him? I I want you like like Noonan just to have the blueprints. (laughs) And then when I question you, you just go, these things come to me. They're in the air. You just got to know how to grab it. I know how to grab it. Yeah. I know how to grab it. I see a whip on the wall and I just know how to grab it. <laughs> I'm not an expert at these things. Come on. Sure. You're no expert, but you'll have a look. <laughs> That's the spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of One Eight Minute that has ended in a spectacularly different way than I expected that it would end. Um, this is the 151st minute of Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus, Heat. And we are only... What are you, 50. 12, 12 minutes, when, what are we, 15 minutes short? 15 minutes away from credits. I'm stretch. 15 minutes away from credits. Then <laughs> mm. there were 15. Mm. That's like the end of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> These two gentlemen sitting in front of me and the, unfortunately, um, not here with us tonight, Mr. Luke Buckmaster, recorded the first 15 episodes of the podcast with me. And so we only have 15 to go, and only 14 of them don't have Michael Mann on them. Yeah, it's funny. Mm. One of them will. One of them will. And in fact, I don't even know if that's the case, but... No, it's, it's been put into <laughs> the universe. But I'm throwing it into the universe yeah. so strongly that even if I have to cut up answers from other interviews he's done yeah. that are on the internet, he will be on this show. There'll be a Michael Mann it's soundboard. Like the, it's like the Michael Mann, like Max Headroom. And if Michael Mann's not on this show, we'd like to know if he's seen The King of Comedy. Because mm. <laughs> there may be some similarities. <laughs> and it might be one heat minute all the time. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. I've got a uh, cheeky... veiled threat, so just a minute. <laughs> Um, I, I've got a spare 70s uh, talk show set up <laughs> in my basement uh, ready for that very scenario <laughs> ladies and gentlemen I've been Blake Howard as always at Blake is Batman on Twitter and I have Stu Coot a member of the Cinephiles and geekofoz.com um, Stu underscore watches on Twitter and Mr. The man behind Dark Horizons Garth Franklin who is at Dark Horizons on Twitter that's where you can find us thank you in person once again sir for our web design bless you thank you Mr. Paul Davies for our music theme and we'll catch you on another episode of One Heat Minute just around the corner and you never know just around the corner you might be wearing shitty yoga pants (laughs) sit down